Hey ghouls, happy hump day, and welcome to Ghoul Friends Podcast, brought to you by your best ghoul friends, Lucy and Lindsay. Grab your blankets, snacks, and good vibes for tonight's sleepover, where the category is always horrifically spooky. If you want to keep up with us on the socials, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at GhoulFriendPod on Twitter and GhoulFriends underscore podcast on Instagram. You can also listen to us on all podcasting platforms where we release new episodes every Wednesday. And if you want to follow me on my personal socials, you can find me on Twitter and Twitch at Lulu underscore Pew. And I'm at Hi, it's Lindsay underscore on all social media. Now let's get spooky. Hey ghouls, happy hump day and welcome back to Gold Friends Podcast. It's been a while since we've been on, but coming back with a... Uh, a very interesting film, shall we say. It's a bit of a fucking riot. <laughs> I'm joined, as always, by my best school, Lindsay. How are you doing? It's been a hot minute. Hi, it has. I'm glad you're back. Um, I am good. Uh, you know, just plotting along, doing my thing. Same old, same old. Excited for your holiday? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else has had their holiday except me, so I can't fucking wait. <laughs> very, very much needed. And... I hope to see lots of pictures of you again. Absolutely pushed get, uh, getting a tan on the beach, just living your best life. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, and we're not alone. We are joined by a returning guest. We have Rob from Cast Me Tell. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Um, back by no popular demand, you know. Strong arm <laughs> my way onto the show again. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm good. Thank you guys. Uh, thanks for having me on again. I That's don't... not fair, Rob. We had a really good chat the last time. We did. We had a great time. <laughs> what was it you talked about? Because I wasn't there for that episode, I don't think. We, we did covered Candyman? folklore and we yes. talked about Candyman, yes, and Antlers. Um, yeah. Yeah, it like two really good films. It was a really good chat. Yeah, it was good. And I think, you know, they were quite like serious films with some pretty interesting themes. Yeah. Which is kind of a very, you know... <laughs> Good juxtaposition to what we're talking about today. I know, we're just going full silly today, aren't we? <laughs> just a silly, yeah. goofy mood. Silly, goofy time. Yeah, um, silly, goofy guys. But before we get into the film and this week's theme, Rob, do you want to tell people a little bit about your corner of the internet and Cast Me to Hell and kind of what horror that you like and how you got into horror movies? Yeah, um, so... If if people remember from last time, um, I'm one of the co-hosts of a podcast called Cast Me to Hell. Um, we're similar to you guys. We're a horror podcast. We're both huge nerds on horror. Um, and as I was saying to Lucy before um, before we started, like it's a very loose, casual show. Um, we don't really do any editing, so whatever we say on air kind of ends up uh, being recorded. And we talk, yeah, we talk most of the horror films that we love that we watched growing up or that are coming out sometimes were a bit more serious reviews sometimes we're kind of just chatting shit and doing top tens or top threes recently we've kind of committed to this must-see horror poster we've got and we're working our way through arguing about what's must-see horror what's not and we're also covering uh video nasties which is a really interesting moment of uh british history i think there's like 72 of them and we've done about eight so We've, uh, we've committed to that and we're not sick of them yet. In terms of horror myself, um, I've always been a massive fan of horror and everything creepy and scary. 
I shared this story um, last time, but I was about seven, eight years old, maybe a little bit older. I was watching back then WWF with uh, my brothers. It was like 1998, 99. We just moved into a new house. We were watching it. It was, I mean, wrestling was the coolest thing back then. So obviously we were watching it. And then during the ad break, uh, we, we flipped over to the classic movies. And they were showing uh, George A. Romero's Night of the Living Dead. And my brothers ran out of the room, held the door closed, kept me in there uh, whilst I watched it. I cried, uh, but I was kind of like, I was enamored by it. You know, it was that thing where I just like couldn't look away. Um, and then horror just seemed to be everywhere. You know, I I was uh, in this game shop we had in Gloucester. Um, it ended up burning down under quite suspicious uh, circumstances, but they had this cardboard cutout of a uh, police officer from Resident Evil 2, and I'd play them with my brothers. And it, I just kind of like fell in love with the genre. And Seb's my best friend. I've known him for half of my life now. One night we were at the pub and we were just talking constantly about horror movies. I think we were talking about like Ghost Ship or something like that, you know, some kind of like early 2000s like not classic horror just something you know cheap frills and one of the one of the bar staff came up to us after like two hours and was like are you still talking about horror movies we were like yeah of course we are um and then uh, about six months later i just worked up the courage to ask him to do a podcast and the rest is kind of uh is kind of history now you're just thriving thriving living your best life talking about horror films what more could you want I love that your origin story for horror is almost a little bit similar to mine. I think I've spoken about this before, albeit not a great film considering the director, but I've said before that my cousin locked me in her bedroom when we were little kids and put Jeepers Creepers on and they lived yes. in the countryside <laughs> and the windows you could see out and it was a dark forest and that fucking traumatised the shit out of me. <laughs> that, yeah. like, that put me off horror for a while, but that was like my... So we kind of have a trauma bond there. So. Yeah, I remember that film coming out, and uh, we every like Friday night we would go and we would we would rent like a VHS. And I remember hearing about Jeepers Creepers, maybe seeing the advert for it, and I asked my mum like, "Can we rent it? Can we rent it?" And she gave in, and we rented it. We watched it as a family, and I cried again at that. I think I was like ten years old and there <laughs> as well. Was like, yeah, <laughs> not a great uh, way to introduce myself to everyone. <laughs> What, what film to watch with the family as well? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so today we don't actually have a theme name for this, so I'm sure we'll probably think of one as we go along, which we've done before. Um, Something chaotic. But today we're talking about an absolute, like, personification of the 80s is what I would describe this film, and it's Waxwork. It's 11.45, let's go. Imagine if you will an exhibit in fear. It looks a little spooky, boys. You think we should do this? A place that appeals to your deepest and darkest fantasies. Ooh, scary. Your fascination with ghosts, monsters, and the many unearthly elements of the supernatural. Welcome to the Vexwar. Look. And this is killer. Enjoy. Wow, the glasses from Nutty Zombies from Hell. Lose yourself in it. Do you like a closer look? Really? But whatever you do, don't step over the rope. Welcome to 
I'm hypnotized. Hey, not so fast. Ah! Relax! Uh, a cup of coffee? We'll talk about it. I want out of here, Sarah. I'm serious. Getting scared? Do I get a pretty woman in my illusion? No. No, I get a dark. It isn't real! Bravo! What the hell did you kill him for? He'd have been perfect! Strong Pictures welcomes you into a new dimension in terror. Waxwork. So, this was released in 1988, and the IMBD plot is as follows. A wax museum owner uses his horror exhibits to unleash evil on the world. The cast includes uh, Zach... Galligan? Gal Galligan? Gal I think it's Galligan. Um, it was funny because um, just before we started recording, before you came on, Lindsay, I was saying to Rob that I recognise him from Gremlins, but you recognise him from Twin Peaks. I don't know if you recognise him, but I was like, that's the kid in Gremlins. I, yeah, I recognise Dana Ashbrook from Twin Peaks. I didn't recognise Zach Galligan from Gremlins somehow, although now you say it, like it's clearly him. And they're like the same age. I don't get it how I didn't pick up on it. I'm not usually good at spoiling people like that, but I was like, oh. Um, and the other people in the cast, just some of them, uh, includes Deborah Foreman and Jennifer Bassey. It's directed by Anthony Hickox. Other work includes Hellraiser 3, Prince Valiant, and Knife Edge. It was also written by him. Fun fact, he wrote this in three days, which is absolutely insane. Um, before we get into this, Rob, why did you choose this specific film? What 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 was your mindset when you decided this? I'm quite curious. Well, it was a film. I remember I was uh, I I always I, my brain is really weird. Like I remember like certain films by what was happening in my life at the time or like a specific moment. And I remember I had a fever like ten years ago, fifteen years ago maybe. And I went to go and ask my dad to take me to the hospital because I was really bad. And my dad was like, no, go sleep in a colder room, which is, you know, great, great parent advice. So I went like to a colder room to sleep, but I couldn't. So I, I watched two movies and I, one of them was um, Return of the Living Dead. And the second was this. And it felt like such like a fever trip, you know, it's such a strange film. But I kind of had this love for it. Um, and then when we were talking about episodes to do, I was like, last time we did something a bit like more serious. Why don't we do something that's just like really weird, but also kind of works perfectly as a bit of like a entry into horror, if that makes sense. I, that's the theme for this week now as well. Fever dream, because this literally is a fever dream. There we go. Done. You've already sorted it for us. Um, Lindsay, I take it this was a first watch for you as well. What did you think um, after finishing it? I'm really curious what your thoughts are on it. My emotions were very like up and down during this. <laughs> like I was really on board during like the first half. And, like I really loved some of the characters. Um, then some of those characters kind of disappear for the second half, but I got a little bit confused. But then it won me over again in the climax. So I was a bit of a roller coaster watching it. It is an emotional roller coaster. I started it in 
it was complete and utter shit, but it was exactly something that I love. I was like, this is so this is so bad that it's good. Uh, I was looking at a couple of reviews. I didn't have too much time to look at it, but a lot of people are saying it reminds them of the original House of Wax with Vincent Price. I haven't watched that yet, but I need to watch it. it it's kind of, I think it's supposed to be like a spoof almost of that, but it, it, it goes so many tangents, but it really is kind of like the personification as well, of like a B-horror movie. And there's so many references to old horror films in this, which is quite satisfying to see. That's what I mean. It's kind of like, it's it's like a homage to so many different horror movies and kind of different styles that you that if you were like a kid watching this you would get the general gist of how it's it's done and it, it's i mean it says it's a horror comedy but it's one of those things where it's like it's nowhere near funny enough to be a comedy and it doesn't really try that but it's it, it has some cool moments but it's nowhere near scary enough to be a horror movie Instead, it just ends up being this kind of really weird, like you said, B-movie, like, sideshow montage film almost. So we'll get into the plot. So we start off in a small suburban town. We have a group of college students. We have Mark, China, Sarah, Gemma, James and Tony, who visit a very mysterious wax museum. Um, they end up on this trip where they encounter... Um, well, it was Sarah and China walking down the road and they see this gentleman called Warner who claims to own an exhibit and extends him an invitation at midnight. Before we get onto that, can we just talk about the the, the audio in this? The audio in this film is so 80s, the sound effects, every, like even from the start, and um, you've got like the footballer guy and it felt almost like breakfast clubby and just like, yeah. Lindsay, what do you think of the start of this film? Because I, I felt like I was in the horror version of The Breakfast Club. Yeah, it's very that. Um, I think it sets the tone really well. Like everything about China and Sarah finding this waxworks museum is like so campy. They're just like, oh, what's this thing that's just appeared? And then, um, the the person that runs it, it just kind of pops like in and out, like like magic almost. Um. I absolutely love China. She's like my favorite character in this. I kind of wish she'd stuck around for a bit longer, um, and I also love as well to kind of really like bed down in that like eighties cheesiness. How like everybody is their stereotype, but they're all like kind of likable as well at the same time. Like normally a character like China, like you are supposed to hate her. Like she is supposed to be the character that everyone does not like, but she is my favorite in this. Um, so yeah, yeah. No, I love China as well. And when I saw the vampire bit, I knew that that had to be my favorite. Albeit the the scene like down the basement is so badly edited, it's so tacky. I love everything about it. Um, Rob, do you have a favorite character in this? Are you Team China, or is there anybody yeah. else that you prefer? I'm Team China, man. It's like it's it's like you said. You get like Zach Galligan, who's I who's just like a very stereotypical like you know main character for like a low but well relatively low budget kind of 80s horror film and then you get china who you're supposed to think like oh she's got to be like this kind of like bitchy cheerleader uh but she comes off really kind of like uh I, i'm trying to think of the right word but she comes off really like 
you know, you kind of like her and she comes off quite quite charming. And I was rooting for her the whole way. And that, you know, her scene, I seem to, I always remember it being slightly different. Uh, and yeah, you know, once you see Dracula, you're like, she's got to be after the pipe. Um, but you also get like a virgin character that they really ham up as being virgin. And then you just get, I remember just two other, like a random couple that just kind of like poke their head in and then just turn up again who are like just cannon fodder, really. But I kind of like everyone, really. Yeah, I mean, considering it's like quite a big cast, like you kind of get to know everybody a little bit. But I mean, it is only an hour and a half, but I don't feel it needs to be any longer than that. I think that the pacing of this is really good. Um, and yeah, our our gentleman Warner when they go to the house and thought, oh god, we're in for a ride. This guy's dressed kind of almost Vincent Pricey, and um, I, I love the sign in front of the house as well that says Waxwork because it literally just looks like it's been stuck on. Like it's literally so 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 tacky, and it's really fun because we were speaking about this before we recorded. This actually had a pretty decent budget. I don't kind of going ahead. But it's a three point five million budget. You would not think it for a film like this, which is quite interesting. Yeah, it's dece- it's deceptively high, um, and you can see like some of the sets that it's quite like, especially in the Waxwork Museum looks good. But then in like the in the Dracula one, particularly, it's like half of the set looks like it's quite well done. But then if you look at like the ceiling above it, it almost looks like it's. Uh, it's kind of cgi um i also i just recognized one of the other characters and i was thinking where do i know their name from um and it's uh it's john reese davies which yes actually, yes <laughs> which is gimli and i was like <laughs> i was thinking where the fuck is gimli in this film um, <laughs> he looks so different because i looked at the cast whilst it was starting and i'm like wait who is he and then i googled and i was like oh he's the werewolf like yeah. un- unrecognizable, but we'll we'll get to that. So, um, you know, China, China and Sarah tell the rest of the group that they're allowed to invite up to I think six people that Warner tells them to this exhibit at midnight, and um, they all eventually go. One thing I love about this scene, I couldn't get it out of my head, and Lindsay, I don't know if you got this as well, but like they obviously dress quite fancy to go to the exhibit. China, her black dress looks like Diana's revenge dress. Her hair as well. She's giving revenge Princess Diana. I could not get that out of my head the entire time. That would be like before the actual revenge dress was even worn, because I'm sure that happened in the 90s. So I don't know, maybe Diana, (laughs) Princess Diana was a fan of waxwork. That's where she got the inspo from. I'm believing that's what happened. That's definitely what happened. Um... So they go, they go into the museum. Um, they encounter the butler. I'm not sure what his name is actually in this. I'm trying to see on the the plotline, but we don't have a name for the butler that introduces them. Um, but as they go in, they encounter several morbid displays, all of which are like stock characters from different horror genres. We'll kind of mention them later as we go along. But there's like werewolves. There's um like an Egyptian area. There's Count Dracula. A bunch of different. I think there's like eighteen different waxworks. This really made me laugh because you can see like so in some bits of the film they use like actual kind of like um mannequins, but other bits you can tell it's just actors standing very still and to be as still as possible. What do we think of this? Because it really it really tickled me pink when I saw this and I was like, oh my god, um. 
it's just it's so campy so campy yeah i i i was looking at some of them when i was thinking like it's one of them breathing and i'm not (laughs) sure which one it was i think it's one of the victims kind of looks like it's like the chest is rising um i think it's a fun like little setup though and i think having a waxwork museum is an interesting setup for a for like a horror film i think we mentioned kind of like um you know like house of wax but the i can't really think of many there was um the, the ones that i put down in my notes are house of wax and then i i'm sure that um goosebumps uh, a night in terror tower i'm i'm trying to think if that is wax museum as well or if they go through time i'm not sure i have to it's been so long since i've seen goosebumps the only goosebumps episode i can really remember and it was ingrained in my brain because i read the books as well there's an episode where there's i think it's a scientist like a high school teacher and he's eating spiders and insects that is forever ingrained in my brain (laughs) (laughs) that's the only thing i remember goosebumps very well might be um so as they're kind of going through all the displays uh tony and china unintentionally enter two separate pocket dimensions and this is where we start getting like the special effects and like the blue sheen that they go into um and we start off with a kind of very stereotypical a cabin in the woods and this is where we have John Reese davies is a werewolf Lindsay what did you think of this as we and what did you think of the special effects as well and also I really need to know what you think of the the costuming for the werewolf because that is I mean, I thought Ginger Snaps was bad. Even though I love Ginger Snaps, this is this is something. Yeah, it's quite obviously like a man in a costume. Um, but I think they play it up well, like given the campy element. There's like there's a bit in it where I think Jack like tries to attack him or something, and then he just like brushes off his shoulder. Very like a human, and I was creasing so hard. It was so funny. Um but it's interesting this bit because like the guy obviously falls through like the portal ends up in this place and he's like what the fuck is going on and we're like what the hell is going on and he's just like oh it's a hypnotism and I'm just I'm watching I'm like I don't think that's how that works babe like there's something (laughs) else going on here (laughs) um that he's not taking into account and his his whole attitude to it is kind of adds to how like funny the whole situation is because he's just like like thinks everything is normal right now and he's just like I'll get some wood and it'll be fine and it's just like it's not fine right now you're not fine right now (laughs) I also couldn't get over like um so I got sorry train got a Maine Coon kitten I was saying this before we recorded a Maine Coon kitten about Two weeks ago, Nova, she's black and grey and she looks like a wolf. She looks exactly like this fucking wolf and she's sitting beside me in the bed and I'm like, is that Nova? And I just could not stop laughing. She literally just looks like a giant Meiku and it was just, it was pissing myself. Um, but Rob, what do you think of this scene with the, the werewolf? And how do you feel about John Ray Staley's performance as a werewolf compared to a dwarf in Lord of the Rings? I mean, I, I'd probably edge towards the... Uh towards the dwarf i'm not <laughs> i'm not one for edging um especially not over dwarfs but it was um it's a really <laughs> weird uh it's a really weird scene and Lindsay's right it kind of, they kind of like try and ham it up and the, to make it the opening gambit of like well 
we're establishing the rules of the film, but we can't have the character just be like, oh, fuck, I'm in a waxwork. Um, so I guess they kind of have to go that route. And I kind of see why he is, why he's acting that way. Um, I didn't realise it was John Reese davies It was only when I was going through the... Uh, going through the cast i was thinking like this dude hasn't shown up yet like where is he and obviously this is like however many years before he had any level of fame as far as i'm aware um but i think the scene's pretty it's fun i i forget how brutal this film can be because at times it is really campy and you have this werewolf that just looks like it's some dude like in a suit stumbling around um and like you said, you have the the really weird like it brushes its shoulder, um, and when I the first time I watched this, I did not pick up because a fever dream. I did not pick up that it was a uh, supposed to be a horror comedy, so I was thinking like this is like an absurd level of like filmmaking. This is like the weirdest film I've ever watched. Knowing that it's supposed to be a comedy, kind of <laughs> does actually make a bit more sense. Um, but I think it's a pretty it's a pretty fun kind of opening kill. And it's surprisingly brutal when that dude gets his head just crushed. And there's a lot of head crushing in the film. Um, or gets ripped apart or something like that. I can't quite remember, but it's he just squeezes a dude to death and then rips him apart. Yeah, but it's like, fun, rips you know? him in half from the head. Yeah. And you're like, it's such an <laughs> 80s thing to do. It's so ridiculous. That it's just like this creature just like grabbed someone from the skull and tore them in half. Yeah, like, but it doesn't look like it's got to do it. You watch it and you're like, oh, it's got to, it's like got to be campy. It's squeezing his head, blood's coming out. It's got to like, you know, be off camera killer. He's just got to like throw him against something. And then he just fucking tears the dude apart. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> I know where we're going now. Um, it, but it's it gets- fun. It's a cool film. It gets really savage. Like I think one of my favorite kills is in the next bit where we get the vampire section oh, and yeah. like um, China pushes a vampire into like a wine celery bit and all the yeah. wines just like stab her in the stomach and I'm like, oh, okay, that's <laughs> that's different. Um, yeah. there's a lot of head crushing, a lot of dismemberment in this film, a lot of bodily dismemberment. Yeah. So as you mentioned, Lindsay, they literally the werewolf literally um. Tears, uh, tears him in half, and the hunter shoots the werewolf, um, and then shoots Tony as begins to transform, and then we move over to China. China's walking over to this part of the exhibit. She sees this, um, well, she doesn't know it's a vampire, but she sees this man. She's like, "Oh, hi, handsome," and then, uh, just gets taken away into basically Count Dracula's world. She's in this castle. It's very gothic romantic. She comes down the, the stairs in this big, like, puffy dress. Um, and we meet Count Dracula, and then we have this, like, dinner scene. Interestingly enough, I know I keep saying about the trivia, because she gets given, like, a bowl of, like, raw meats, and she's trying to be like, oh, you know, I've not had steak tartare in a while, and I'm thinking, babes, that's not steak tartare there. Definitely not. Um, and then up pouring... Look, gravy like a sauce which is blood and they have this meal together i think there's maybe like four or five other vampires there and then she gets um then she gets taken away and then we have the son of count dracula who we think is trying to seduce her saying you know my dad wants you all to himself and he tries to tries to bite her and take her blood and then we have like this really 
it's it's a great scene, but it's also just so over the top. She runs into the bathroom and we find who it I don't actually know who it is, Rob. I don't know who you do you know who it is who's on like this the the table where they've been munching on this person's leg because yeah. that's who they've been eating from. I don't actually remember who that character is. I couldn't find anything in my notes. So it's supposed to be um her in you know in the scene fiance who came to oh, the castle. Okay, that's right. it's supposed to be. Yeah. Okay. Well, it shows how much I was paying attention there. But yeah, there's this guy set and they can you can see that they've just been munching on him and the the, the the son of Dracula just takes a bite out of him and starts eating him. And then you know he says that a crucifix will will kill him and she ends up making like a makeshift crucifix. So I'm like, I don't know if that really works. <laughs> um and then there was a bit of a scene where she, there was a there was an edit that really made me laugh where she's stabbing him, but just before she stabs him, his shirt's already really bloody. And I paused and I had to take a shot. I was going to send a photo of it to you, Lindsay, because I was like, it just it really made me laugh. Um, and then all of the other vampires come in, and there's lots of chaos. There's lots of deaths. Like I said, there's the the wine bit. I think there's maybe some. There, there's a lot going on. Um, Rob, what do you think of the scene with the vampires? It's so bloody as well. Yeah. Like she changes into a white dress, I think, as well. It's kind of giving like a carry moment. Um, because this is probably I, one of my favorite scenes. It. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love any each time I I think that uh China has got to survive. I have this like vague memory that oh yeah, she makes it out. Of course it's China, you know, she's she's absolutely class. Um you say that she doesn't know that he's like He's a vampire, but I think he's wearing a cape. So I think okay. like, the only two people who wear capes are either vampires or school shooters. You know, it's, 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 yeah, there's only two options, you know. Um, but I, I think this, uh, it's kind of this on the show, uh, Cast Me to Hell, we have this real like debate between me and Seb about uh, Francis Ford Coppola's uh dracula you know um i absolutely love it i think it's a masterpiece and seb thinks it's awful and i i get the impression that this is how he sees that film you know um because it's like it's really camp even when she runs away from the uh when she runs away from the son who goes for him she's doing that kind of like really exaggerated big dress like her shoulders are like in front of her melodramatic run at the dinner table you know it's kind of like a really camp like atmosphere there it's a it's a little creepy you know i love i love the moment where they're served and then they all like start to like devour it and he like shouts at them and it's very clear like what's going on and it's real campy um i love that but i could see why somebody would be like it's really bad um i think her fiance lying on the table like with his leg carved up is like really rough and that scene where you know um there's like a rat eating and nibbling at his leg and then everything is fucking happening to this guy it's almost a bit slapstick where like somebody's like trying to grab her and they lean on his leg somebody falls over and they like stomp him on the leg and you're just thinking like fucking hell like how much like leg torture can this one man take um but I think I think it's hilarious again, you know, we get like a head exploding with the crucifix. China then just like bodies all of them with the stake. We get a real cool kill against the champagne bottles. And that's why for the whole thing, I'm convinced that she survives. Um, and it's an ab- absolute bloodbath. And then she just she locks eyes with Dracula and, you know, 
it that's it that's all she wrote literally because after this she gets turned into a vampire and i think yeah it'd be, it's a shame because i would love to see more of her like you did as well Lindsay. but i mean not to spoil it but we do get to see more of her later in the film but it's kind of you know because she's kind of a fan favorite she does go quite quickly but what do you think of like this whole scene Lindsay, and the vampire theme are you here for it um for starters she looks absolutely fucking stunning in this scene like I could not get over the dress and the hair and everything she looked absolutely beautiful um when in the first scene with the werewolf I was a bit confused but enjoyed the campiness I was like at this point I was kind of on board now I was like right okay like I understand what's happening and I did like actually enjoy this part um you know, the, the kind of nerv- nervousness of her eating this state tartar in uh, quotation marks and kind of her, like, figuring out what's going on. And then, like, you're kind of with her, like, in the confusion where you see this, like, older guy who's strapped to a table with half of his leg eaten off, like, and he's like, I'm your fiance <laughs> And she's looking at him like, what the fuck? And I feel like you're really in there with her. And then you get all that fun campiness again with all the kills that like you say with the makeshift crucifix and the head exploding and then she takes on all these vampires single-handedly um but I don't know I don't know if it's maybe some like commentary from the director or the writer or what about when she kind of just falls for Dracula and that's how she ends up becoming a vampire because she was that more promiscuous one even though she can just do what she wants because she's a queen but um yeah like this is when I started to like get more on on board with it like the confusion had passed I was like okay I understand what's going on now China's my favorite I'm into this and uh yeah and then she gets turned into a vampire which is shit <laughs> yeah uh too long didn't read that's a short version I like that yeah it's just shit <laughs> But she's she's um the the absolute the absolute queen and the costuming in this was really good really really like this, um so after this we have two of the other students like you mentioned earlier Rob it's Mark and Sarah they leave the museum um pretty much on um, actually no it's not them is it it's the other couple there's the other couple there they just show up and then they're they're gone again, um but Mark and Sarah who we see later on as well leave the museum unscathed, um. They end up trying to come back. I think they go to the police at one point as well, trying to tell them about the waxwork me waxwork museum. But obviously they're like, what are these kids taking? Because this is a bunch of bullshit and they don't do anything. And like usual with police and horror films, they're not very helpful at all. That's kind of the end of it. You just kind of see them there for a bit. Um, but later, Jonathan, who's the college jock that we saw earlier, arrives at the museum and he's looking for China, but he sees a Phantom of the Opera display and gets the attention as um, David Lincoln walks into the, him into the display. Uh, Mark goes on to pair of, uh, there's the police detectives, um, he and Inspector Roberts meet Lincoln as he lets Roberts investigate the museum. And as Mark and Robert leave, Mark recognises Lincoln. What do we think of this scene? Because it's kind of like, I suppose these are maybe like the less exciting scenes. This is kind of where the plot kind of slowed a little bit down for me and then it kind of got a little bit, you know, got the kind of campiness and themes and stuff again. What do we think of um, this kind of section of the film? Uh, yeah, it, it's the kind of the slower section, isn't it? Um, 
because the rest of the film kind of happens quite quickly and then it starts to almost like crawl down a little bit um it's a, it's a decent scene um and that and kind of section uh, the bit that i i like the most is this is where you start to you start to clock the all of the uh all of the victims on these uh, waxwork displays have been people who have kind of uh who have gone through this and have basically died um I think the thing that I find most interesting is as he's walking around, you get to see a lot of the other kind of exhibitions. So I think you see like the invisible man. He's got like a petrol pump in some woman's mouth. And it's like, that would be a brutal way to go. You have like this, like a alien kind of like plant thing. So I like seeing around the museum and, and thinking of all the other potential kind of mini films you could have got from it. Um, but it, 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 kind of feels a little a little filler if if that makes sense i think the i think the strength of this film is in the short like snippet montages for when you get to the actual bulk of why he's doing this i think the wheels start to fall off a little bit yeah definitely and as you mentioned there you realize that this point that the displays start to look like other missing people. Um, Roberts realizes this while and then goes back. He ends up finding China, and he cuts off a piece of her face. At the start, it looks like she's just wearing really cakey foundation. Like he's peeling away. That's what I got from it. And then it ends up, you know, he ends up revealing black tissue underneath of it. Um, materials of like a waxwork. He puts it in the bag, and then we get the the mummy display, the mummy montage. So the mummy throws him in a tomb with another undead mummy and a snake. Um, later we have Robert's um, partner detective sneaks into the museum, but he gets his neck broken by, oh, it's it's Junior, sorry, and then the tall butler and Lincoln scolds him for killing the partner. Then we have Mark and Sarah again. So Mark takes Sarah to the attic of his house, um, and this is where we kind of get a little bit more lore about him. He shows her an old newspaper that shows the murder of his grandfather, who was in the prologue. Um, the only suspect was David Lincoln, um, his chief assistant photograph, whose photograph resembles the museum owner. So he's kind of placing two and two together. What do you think about this um, reveal about Mark and his grandfather and how he knew Warner? Um, and then we also have uh, Sir Wilfred as well, who's a friend of Mark's grandfather who kind of comes in a little bit late in the game for me because you don't really see much of him until this point. And obviously he plays such a big part in the ending. I kind of wish we met him a bit sooner. But yeah, what do you both think about the the reveal of Mark? Um, I think this is like this is the part of the film that kind of it starts to slow down a bit for me. Um, Mark and Sarah like have a weird like relationship I think like she kind of fancies him but he's not really into her but he kind of is because she's there so like that kind of dynamic annoyed me a bit um I think this whole thing of Mark having a connection with Lincoln could have been interesting but I don't really think that they like hammer it in an awful lot like there's not really a confrontation as such between them so it's just like why was this necessary? I mean, I feel like it just reveals like where Mark's family gets their money from. Because there's that scene kind of at the start where him and his mom are sitting at that ridiculously long table having breakfast in a really fancy house and they have a butler who is quite like 
who sacrifices himself later, um, but kind of in a rubbish way. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, and I agree with you, Lucy, as well. Like, there's the friend Sir Wilfred, and he's in this scene, and then he pops up again at the end. And it's like we we could have done with like at least one more scene with him. I think just to kind of hammer in like how important he is to that relationship between the granddad and Lincoln as well because otherwise he's just this random guy you know yeah because they could have like really played in and had some like really good flashback scenes of Mm. the grandfather as well and added to the the montage theme of the film Rob what do you think um I pretty much agree with Lindsay it's it's a weird kind of relationship that that they then suddenly develop you know you get um at the start of the film you know mark's like he's he's like pissed off that china has been going on dates with somebody else and he doesn't really like he doesn't really care about sarah and then as soon as like it's the next day he's he he's just after sarah for some reason and it's like a it's a, this really weird turn where they try and make him her like savior in which obviously plays in in a little bit but it's just like a really weird relationship and the same with with sir wilfred you know like they could have had him at the start and they could have had him a bit throughout it because at the moment they just you know they look in the attic they're like oh this this old dude killed my dad he hasn't aged let's go see my mate and then he he just randomly turns up again um and yeah the wheels this is for me like where the wheels kind of start to rock a little bit um i do like the i like the mummy scene though i think that's a a really cool one and it's kind of a throwback um i know like uh, for for us and for our generation the mummy is is like brendan fraser um and it's it's nice to see a throwback to that era of filmmaking and coincidentally i was just like flicking around on youtube um and i found this video which kind of spoke a lot about why in like the 30s 40s and 50s we had a a fascination with like egyptian culture and and pyramids and pharaohs and the theory is that we were connected to them through like the roman empire um for like a large period of time and then isolated and then when you know when the british empire went there and started to trade we were opened up to it and we were kind of like fascinated by all this stuff. And then I'm just watching Waxwork and I completely forget that there's like a throwback mummy scene in it. And I think like, I think the the death is one of those ones where it's like, he gets thrown into the coffin and I'm kind of thinking, would I rather my head be like crushed and ripped apart by a werewolf, die in the hunky arms of a vampire or like, be buried alive you know it's, all of the deaths in this are quite brutal so many options isn't there a bit as well yeah. where the mummy just crushes somebody's head just stomps on their head and i was yeah. like oh that was beautiful as well <laughs> curb stomps them yeah and he's praying to the mummy as well you know and he just he, he just one shots him i only watched the mummy like a few months ago i'd never seen it before and it's actually really really good I was surprised by it. I was, and I know. I think how many are there? Is there three? Something like I need to watch. Yeah, I need to watch the others because they are they are absolutely brilliant. Um, 
So after this, like I say, we see Sir Wilfred, who was a friend of Mark's grandfather, and he kind of explains the background of waxwork. So explains that he and Mark's grandfather collected trinkets from 18 of the most evil people who ever lived. And Lincoln stole the artifacts and he sold his soul to the devil and wanted to bring their owners to life by creating by creating like wax effigies and feeding them the souls of victims. Um, so providing all 18 of them with a victim would bring about, quote unquote, voodoo end of the world when the dead shall rise and consume all things. So he says, you know, make sure there's not 18 people that go to this because this is going to bring the, the end of the world. Um, so on the advice of Sir Wilfred, Mark and Sarah enter the museum at night. They douse it with gasoline, planning to set it on fire. But Sarah ends up being lured into the display of Marquise de Sade, I hope that's it. Um, now this is interesting, this 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 scene, um, because she ends up getting um tortured, um, she ends up getting whipped, but and she ends up she ends up enjoying it. And they end up, you know, it's very much pushing on that because at the start it's very much, you know, she's very this quote unquote pure and virginal, and they play on that. Um Lindsay, what do you think of this scene? Because then they end up like slut shaming her, and it's just like I don't know that I know it's completely going the completely other way because like she says, oh, also you know, it's it's a lot. I, I was wondering what you were th- what you thought of this when I was watching it because I had feelings. It was confusing because um, <laughs> it's not typical that it's a virgin that is like treated like that by like society and men and stuff but like the Marquis de Sade was a real person who was like quite well known for having numerous accusations of sex crimes so maybe like that is the kind of thing that the real life Marquis de Sade actually did and um, that's what the writer has brought in but it was it was very confusing because stereotypes dictate that actually that would have been happening to China because she it's quite promiscuous, but it's happening to Sarah, who is our like stereotypical horror virgin. Um, so I, I was just confused honestly when I was watching it. I know because I was like, are they trying to spin like the narrative of it? Um, yeah, and I mean different strokes for different folks, but and like I mean, Mark ends up trying to come to save her. I'm not trying to kink, kink shame anyone, but she ends up like like hanging on to Marquis to say like I don't want to fucking go with him. I'm staying here, um, and you know Mark ends up saying that they they don't exist and they can't harm you, and that's when Marquis tries to attack him and he can't attack him and he ends up you know saving Sarah, um. Rob, what do you think of this this whole scene and kind of like how Sarah's portrayed, kind of how we would expect China to have been portrayed? Well, it's a, I mean, it's it's a real interesting to me that they even included this character because you ha- you they say like that he he collected eighteen of the you know models or whatever of the most evil things that existed, and it's like I. I don't think that the Invisible Man existed, a werewolf existed, this weird plant alien existed. So, like, it's already, like, a massive contradiction. Um, but, like, the inclusion of Mark Desade is really interesting because he was, like, you know, he was an absolute fucking demon and a freak, to be honest. You know, like, if, if you, you know, the the idea of, like, sadomasochism 
or and sadism it was that term was coined because of him um if anybody's ever seen or read um 120 days of sodom it's based on this book or unfinished collection of books that or book that he wrote and the film is fucking brutal but the 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 general gist of the story is like these french politicians and uh royalty like family members basically get these young boys and young girls and just like do horrendous things to them it's a real like the film itself is a fucking brutal watch um and that's where like that's what mark desade kind of was he was all about like pleasure through pain and, and which is interesting as well because we know that this guy uh the director ended up going on to do a hellraiser um i think that's quite an interesting link in terms of how how Sarah's character linked in, I think it's it's kind of done in a very interesting way. Um, they they sprinkle in that she's obviously a virgin, but that that Mark Desaid has this allure over her. You know, we get this uh, this moment where she almost walks into the waxwork early on in the film, and then when they're in the when they're in the attic looking for stuff there's like a book that magically shines about mark de Sade because for some reason his grand his granddad has a book about mark de Sade. um but the idea of like that corrupting of like the innocence and that she is a virgin and that's the they get off on that you know the whole point is that they want to break her and in a way like maybe she's been having these thoughts of like sex and thinking about you know having sex and we know that how especially in like 80s and that time and and horror movies particular we know that virgin virginity is uh is kind of seen or portrayed as this real special thing if you you mentioned like the breakfast club one of the whole character's thing is that she is you know pure and she's like a virgin so it's this i think the idea that you know she's had maybe thinking about having sex and now she's being taken to the like these extreme levels of bdsm basically um and not only is it like fantasy meeting reality basically but it's a it's a really weird scene and then uh you know mark turns up and saves her and yeah it's a very i don't know it's a, it's a real interesting scene to me i quite like it to be honest i think in terms of how it's done and for sarah's character it kind of feels cool i always feel it's fucking weird that they just included mark desade though he always kind of comes out of left field for me i always forget that he's in it it's so random, but no, that's a really good explanation there. And also on the mention of 120 Days of Sodom, my friend Ash has been trying to get me to watch that for ages, and I just, I can't bring, I, I really don't know if I can bring, we watched like the first 10 minutes of it, and even the first 10 minutes I was like, oh, this is, it's, it seems to be like a really rough watch. I don't think that's one I'm going to be picking up anytime soon. Um... So after this weird scene that we have where, you know, Mark comes in and saves the day, um, Marquise vows that he's going to take revenge and this isn't the last that they've seen of him. Um, despite Mark and Sarah attempting to escape, Junior and Lincoln grab Mark and Sarah and pull them out of sight as Gemma and James return. I think this was the couple that you were mentioning earlier, Rob, the, the random couple that just show up again. Um, yeah. Really, really weird. I don't I don't know why you'd want to come back after all that, but fair play. Yeah. <laughs> um 
Gemma ends up getting lured in, into the Marquise de Say display, and James attempts to steal something from a zombie display for his collection, which, I mean, fair play, uh, you know, for, for your horror collection. But um, moments later, the bodies of James and Gemma reappear as wax figures, and the display is completed with the figures, and their victims start to reanimate as evil entities. Um, I really like this. It kind of reminds me of like uh, Night of the Living Dead or Evil Dead, the way they're starting to come to life. Uh, but then suddenly we have Sir Wilfred and a huge group of armed men, along with Mark's butler Jenkins arriving. And then we have this massive battle scene that happens with the waxworks. Um, what do we, we think of this? Because there's a lot of deaths going on. Um, there's like a showdown between like Marquise and Mark, they have a sword fight, um, but it's killed by Sarah with an axe, which is really cool. What do, what do we think of this? There's so much going on in this scene. It's absolute fucking chaos. That's Yeah, that's the best way to describe it. Um, I I love the, the little light of the living dead scene. I think that's really cool. It's real well done. And I like that it's not like stupid, stupidly long and it establishes that, you know, they can get out of it. But the actual, like, the fight scene is just so fucking random. Like, I don't recall Sir Wilfred ever saying, you know, I'm going to round up the boys and we're going to stop the waxworks. Um, it almost feels like, you know, in Anchorman, when they have the massive rumble and people yeah. just turn up out of nowhere. <laughs> it's like that. <laughs> Suddenly Wilfred's there, a bunch of random people we don't know. His butler is there. Um, and there was this, you you get like just this these brutal fight and people just like randomly killing each other. And then the one that always gets me is Jenkins, the butler, just turns up and just gets like stabbed and just dies. And you're like, oh fucking hell, I feel sorry for this guy. Like, I don't, like don't work off the clock, you know? Like you're not <laughs> no, expected to, yeah, to go and fucking. Like, if you, I don't think, like, the Queen's Guard would be like, all right, it's, like, nine o'clock, we're going to go for a rumble, you know? I don't think that's the way it works. Um, and then you get another scene that always creases me up is um, when Dracula is there and he, uh, you know, he's, like, flying around as a bat and somebody just grabs him and just blows his head off. <laughs> it's just fucking class. Um, and then the sword fight with Mark Desade uh, is just a really random bit um he kills him and then uh, uh, then i will leave the next bit for when we we talk about that um because that has a moment that i just every time i forget and i it just creases me up how needlessly cruel it is um but that's my thoughts on the the big scrap yeah the the count dracula turning into a bat and then literally getting a boom headshot forgot about that it was so fucking good um like it's funny because we we're saying the the writer and director for this oh what's his name again is it anthony is it anthony? yeah anthony hickox the fact he did this in three days he must have been taking something acid lsd edibles yeah. something to be able to even just write this scene nobody can do that sober i don't believe that for a fucking second <laughs> <laughs> i imagine it was written like he just did loads of cocaine and the script was just like one word there was no no like grammar it was just typed you know <laughs> Lindsay, what do you think of this um this massive fight scene and like everything that goes with it what kind of like took me by surprise or like 
confused me a bit was like it was just this squad of like old boys rocking up to this house and like mm-hmm. there must be like a secret society or something that like people know about this Lincoln guy like Wilfred's got them all on speed dial like he's messaging the group chat like come on lads like this is the day we've been preparing for because I'm just like where have all these people come from like who else knows about this like like I kind of said before with the summer Wilfred, like I just feel like there's like a tiny little bit missing about him that the audience needed to know and yeah how he's managed to round up this squad of old boys is one of them um the fight is chaotic but in the best way like I kind of said at the start like this the climax of the film is where it kind of won me over again and it's got all that really nice 80s OTT silliness in the kills and even with Jenkins like we were kind of saying before he kind of gets like poked in the stomach which we're led to believe is him being fatally stabbed and he's just like just leave me here I'm alright like it's fine like carry on I'm just I was watching it like what like I feel like he's been the father figure to Mark his whole life because I feel like he doesn't really get on with his mom his mom's a bit like controlling treats him like a wee boy and then his father figure dies and it's just he's just like oh pip pip cheerio like what? I know work to live don't live to work mate like J- Jenkins needs taught a little bit about work-life balance there um but yeah, after this, like we said, uh, Mark duels with Marquise the Sad and is finally killed by Sarah with an axe, which I really like. Even though the axe doesn't really go in him, it just goes ding. And it's quite like, there's no blood or anything. I'm kind of like, oh, you might want to put it in a wee bit further, love. <laughs> yeah, it just tickles his back a little bit. Uh, you know? um, but after this, we have the reunited couple, which is Mark and Sarah, who are confronted by Lincoln, um, who ends up getting shot by Sir Wilfred whilst he's like, basically getting engulfed in flames and falls into a vat of boiling wax. This scene as well is really weird because like he's still shooting the gun, but his body is like slowly turning like an animatronic robot or something. And I'm just like, this is this is strange. Um and then absolutely devastating, Sir Wilfred is decapitated by the werewolf, aka Nova, who I'm calling Nova, as Sarah and Mark escape. What a fucking shame. Sir Wilfred's gone to save the day and then he gets munched by the werewolf. Yeah, that's the bit I was saying. I always forget, and it's just so needlessly cruel. Because they... I don't know if you saw the guns that they're using as well, but they don't look like real guns. They look like weird prop guns. Like something you'd see in, like, Star Trek or something. And then, yeah, this this was the moment where I was telling you, Lucy, where... um, my fiance came home or she just got off a phone call and I was watching this and she came down uh, and I'm like, you know, I've got to watch this film for the podcast. Like the films that I watch for the podcast, they're good films. Like, you know, they're like horror films, like not everything that's made before like the year 2000 is bad. And then she comes downstairs and like Mark decides like having a sword fight with somebody. And then this dude's getting shot and he's spinning in slow motion. And then a werewolf just bursts through a door and just rips off like Wilf, like a dude in a wheelchair's head for no reason. It's so cruel. He's just there, and then he just gets his head ripped off. I just fucking love it. Um, and it just feels so fucking weird and so like need- needlessly done. They're like, we need to get one more kill in this film. 
who do we even have left who's a named character? Oh, Sir Wilfred. Sorry, mate, you're going. <laughs> you're getting the chalk, literally. Um, now, what a scene to walk into. Um, so after this tragic death, uh, Sarah and Mark manage to escape the burning museum and they begin to walk home. But that's not the end of the film. We notice that a hand from the zombie display scuttles away from the rubble. Um, very Adams family esque, and the kind of that's how the film ends, kind of playing up to. There's a sequel to this as well. I don't know what the plot of this is, but it's quite a good cliffhanger that leads into what's to come next. Um, Lindsay, what did you think of this ending? Uh, did Did you like it? How did you feel about Sir Wilfred being munched? Um. I think it's a shame because we don't know Sir Wilfred particularly well. And like, yeah, it's obviously Savage getting his head bitten off by a werewolf, but that kind of emotional like connection, it's not there. So yeah. It and it also because this this whole part is so chaotic, it does kind of get lost in the chaosness of it all. Um you know, there's also kind of Lincoln at the same time uh, being boiled alive slash drowned by um, hot wax. Uh, so there's so much going on. It does kind of get a bit lost for me a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I kind of loved the zombie hunt at the end, which I didn't know there was a sequel to this before going into it. But I kind of like, I was like, oh, sequel? I, I, don't, I don't do that. Like, that's not me. So... I don't know, it like, tickles me a little bit, the, the sequel bait of it. Well, Bruce Campbell's in the sequel. I saw that <gasps> earlier, so I ha- have to watch it. Oh have to God. watch it. <laughs> um, in terms of... I've uh, kind of mentioned a little bit of trivia already. There's quite a lot for this, but just a couple other things. There was three characters that were supposed to be in the waxwork, like, as displays, but they were left out because of, like, legal reasons. And honestly, I don't think they could afford the licensing for it. It was Jason from Friday the 13th, uh, five children from Village of the Damned and The Thing as well, Lindsay, which I'm sure you would have absolutely loved. Um, but I can imagine they couldn't afford it. That's actually probably where quite a lot of the money of this went was for licensing. Um, I can imagine for the, the characters that we do have. Um, the human flesh that's eaten in uh, the, the scene with China is made of rhubarb watermelon and strawberries. I did look at it because I was like, that looks like, like strawberry jelly or something like that. So I was quite curious about that. So it's quite interesting to see that. Um, the effects artist for this, Bob Keane, spent 18 hours a day for eight weeks working on the monsters for this film. So it was an absolute labor of love. Um, I'm just trying to see if there's anything else. Uh, oh, this is quite interesting. The the inside of the house, of like the Waxworks house, is still like an actual house, but the owner's grown a hedge around it to make it less visible and discourage people trying to take photos, like photo ops of the house. So it's still there. Um, I think there's a couple other things, but I think, I mean, it was his first feature as well. Um, trying to see if there's something. No, there's, I think there's pretty much, that's pretty much all the trivia for me. Is there anything else either of you want to mention before we get on to? box office and ratings um i was just wondering out of used to or anybody that's listening they might not know this is based off a, i think it's a 1924 german impressionist film i was just wondering if any of you had watched it because i wanted to watch it but 
I, I, I don't know. I just didn't want to pay for the BFI subscription to watch it. <laughs> I don't want to any of you dead. I mean, I, I can't imagine this being based on a, you know, silent German impressionist film after I've watched it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm just looking at the Wikipedia now and it does say it was in, inspired a remake of sorts. But any similarity between the two ends there, I guess maybe it's just it's just the name that they have in common. Um, I might I might check it out though, you know. Um, I want like I said, to I want to watch it, but I was just wondering if any of you's had and if anybody's listening now, you know another wee fun fact about it, and you can maybe watch it. Yeah, no, I haven't seen it, but like you know me, I really like the classics, so I'd be quite interested to see that just to see how much she's influenced it. So I'll see if I can see if I can source it. Um, in terms of box office, kind of as I mentioned at the start. Uh, this actually had surprisingly a very high but to me it was a very high budget for this film it was a 3.5 million dollar budget I don't know how much the sequel got Um, again there's quite a few named people here that are quite well known but I suppose I don't know if this was before their careers kicked off Um, I'm not 100% sure but I can imagine that quite a lot of this went on props as well costuming but also probably licensing however this film was a pr- pretty big flop which is a shame it only grossed eight hundred and eight thousand dollars at the box office so it didn't make its money back um but it seems like i hadn't heard of this film beforehand i don't know if you had Lindsay, but just from the reviews it seems like kind of like repo the genetic opera kind of like um you know rocky horror it's kind of got like a little bit of a cult fan base which is nice to see um rob i don't know if there's anything else you want to add to that have you like have you heard of anybody else that's seen this, or am I just being really, really stupid right now? Because I'd, I'd never heard of this film before. No, I, I'd never heard of anybody who's, who's seen it as well. Um, I think a, a few people on my letterboxd have seen it, um, and it's, a, it's around a three star, three and a half star from most of the, the people I follow. Um, I, yeah, I think it's, it is kind of a shame that it, it bombed. It does have a surprisingly higher budget than you'd kind of guess and it does have a, a couple of people who were um who were bigger than you expected um i think the sarah deborah foreman um she was in april fool's day a couple of years before which was another horror film and i think she ended up she was in a film with nicholas cage um david warner has obviously been in quite a lot um and it does have some like notable notable actors when you kind of jot through and, and have a look at who's there obviously dana ashbrook went on to do twin peaks um and it does have it has a good has a good set i think some of the special effects like are a bit a bit naff but then some are actually done quite cool like the head splitting um that that stuff kind of looks cool i just think it's a shame that it bombed obviously it's got a sequel which i'm, I'm definitely gonna watch um but he, when you hear like, oh, you know, they tried to get Jason in it, which they definitely wouldn't have been able to afford or the thing. It makes you think like if this had been a box office smash, how what would they have done? You know, could it have been that in the second one you do have like a more contemporary one where you have like the thing and then it's like a little short, mo- you know, five minute thing where somebody's in there and it's, it, it, it has a potential to get like, a real metaness to it, and I do like that. Uh, it's just a shame it did bomb. I didn't realize it bombed quite so much, to be honest. Yeah, no, it is a shame. I'll be interested. I'm gonna have a look after and see 
had the sequel did, if it did any better, um, maybe it got a little bit more of a thought, or maybe even they got more of a budget to be able to do more licensing. I'm not sure. We'll have to have to see. I mean, if they got Bruce Campbell, which is a pretty big name, um, I'm not sure. When did Evil Dead come out? Actually, I'm just curious. Was that before or after? Eighty-four. Oh well, yes, yeah, so he would have been really well known at that point. So it must have. Yeah, well, have, but then he also did a lot of under the radar stuff as well. Well, you know? that's true. I think that's it true. might have been straight to DVD, to be honest, or ah. straight to VHS as it was. Um. So in terms of ratings for Waxwork, IMDb gave it six point one out of ten. Rotten Tomatoes, the critics gave it sixty percent. Uh, the audience gave it forty seven, and Metacritic gave it forty one. So kind of across the board, it's like around about average. Some a little bit above, some a little bit below. But as we always say, we don't give a shit about what the critics say. All we care about is our opinions because we're always right. Um, with that, I'm going to start with our guest. Rob, what do you give Waxworks out of 10? Out of 10? Uh, like, I, I, I recognise that uh, it is, it's perfect for those kind of levels of, uh, you know, that you, that you mentioned. If somebody was like, I think it's dog shit. I'd be like, you know what? I completely get that. And if somebody absolutely loved it, I'd I'd understand. I think for me, like it's it it does lead into being overly camp and so bad it's good sometimes. But I I'd give it a good, you know, seven point five. It's one of those films where it's, you know, it's funny, it's over the top, it's easy to watch. Um, and it does have some like cool moments you know i won't i won't say all of it is so bad it's good there are some moments that are you know quite cool and quite creepy yeah definitely so Lindsay, what are you going to give waxbert out of 10 i'm gonna give waxwork a six out of ten um there's definitely some issues with the film in the middle but i Overall, I feel like this is such a fun film. I can't really rate it any lower. It's so like stereotypically eighties in the like in the kills and how silly it is. And I do love when horror films are silly. So I guess it has kind of gained a bit of a soft spot in my heart for that reason. I'm really glad that you both rated this quite high because I was kind of thinking, what do I rate this? And I was like, seven too high. No, it's not. I'm going to give this a seven. It's actually quite high for me lately because the couple, the past couple of episodes on Girlfriends, I've been quite harsh. But um, I really like this. Don't get me wrong, because this is a good film. Absolutely fucking not. No, it's not. There's so many things wrong with this, but it is such a fun watch. Like, it's so goofy and campy, which is something that I love. There is definitely some issues with it. Um, and, you know, like we said, the middle does get a little bit kind of lost, but the scenes that are good really do shine and I feel like it's just a bit of a gem that not a lot of people have heard of so if you do like um horror comedy if you like more of the campy side if you like b-movies b-horror movies this is definitely something for you and it is a nice little wink wink nod nod to the classics of our time so yeah no it's a solid film seven out of ten so that is the end of the spooky sleepover this week Rob thank you so much for joining us and um, where can people find you on the socials if they want to listen to cast me to hell well i mean thank you for having me uh it's been a it's been a good sleepover but you know mum and dad have got to come and pick me up and take me home now um, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so you can find us in the usual places you know um apple Podcasts, spotify um 
all of them you know <laughs> we're on the usual those are the two biggest ones uh but you can find us on pretty much anything cast me to hell um on twitter and instagram it's at cmth podcast um i run the twitter so if you want to come and say hello to me that's cool um if you want to go and annoy seb it's uh you know he he runs the uh instagram but he's not as uh he's not as active as i am you know he's he's juggling uh he's juggling a baby uh, not literally um you know I would hope not. yeah i hope not well i'm not with him so he could be for all i know um but no it's been a pleasure to be here and thank you for indulging in this kind of very weird choice which i'd recommend everybody to watch you know it's not a perfect film a lot of it doesn't make sense but it's kind of fun you know yeah exactly exactly and um, Lindsay, where can people find you on the socials I am at hi it's Lindsay underscore on all social media. You can find podcasts at Girlfriend Pod on Twitter and Girlfriends underscore podcast on Instagram. Next week, again, we're been recording for a film I've never heard of. I have no idea what we're going into. It's called Broadcast Signal Intrusion. Have either of you heard of it? I don't know what to expect, but I'm excited. I've looked it up and it's like it seems like a bit of a like crime mystery type Ooh. thing. It's got Harry Shim Jr. who I know as Mike Chang from Glee, so that tells you everything you need to know about me. Um, but yeah, it's something a bit different. I'm excited. Been rewatching I... Glee lately, actually, so I love that. Sorry, on you go. <laughs> no, that's right. Um, I recognise the name, but I've I've never seen it, and the same with Glee. I've never watched Glee. Um. I've heard it, unfortunately, but I've never actually watched it. Sorry you, to the geeks out there. You should try it. It's on Disney Plus just now. Just watch, just watch one episode and let us know what you think because it's okay. It's it's very addictive. It's 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 trash, but it's good trash. <laughs> I will just for you. I will, and I'll message you what I think. <laughs> um. So thanks everyone for watching and stay spooky.